The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman felt like she grew up in a cocoon in Sweden. Things seemed wonderful and everyone was equal. The family were big chess players, so her existence was very intellectual. But at age five, she got her first taste of performing on a stage and she loved it. The air seemed to clear and she felt connected to people in a way she couldn't describe. As she grew into a young woman, the arts became part of her life. Ballet was where she shined, and by the age of 10, she became part of the Royal Swedish Ballet School. Over the years, she has become an accomplished ballet dancer and choreographer as she uses her talents to help her and others make sense of the world around them. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Julia Bingston. Hi, Julia. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Annette, so much for having me. It's a joy to be able to contribute to this great document of amazing women of today. And and I'm so glad that we have found each other. And we have limited time together, so I'm going to jump right into the questions. Julia, as you grew up, you had excellent grades, and your mother felt dancing was a huge waste of your intellectual talent. But you felt an intense need to express yourself. So what would you say to other women who also feel a need to express themselves when others think it's a waste? Ah, That's a good question. I would say for me, I always, I never had a choice. Passion chose me and I could have done so many things in my life, but there was only one thing at the time that I could not live without. I loved school. I loved math. I loved languages. Uh, I, I greatly enjoyed studying English and Spanish and French. But dancing was the one thing that I, I couldn't imagine going a day without. And I think that has, it, it's so defining. It has defined me, my artistry. And I think if, Someone is lucky enough to find a passion like that, something that you cannot imagine going a day without. Uh, you you have no choice but to pursue it. Uh, and I, I only wish you best of luck in it. You know, and, and I'm going to go a little deeper on this because, you know, that kind of passion where something is so deep in you that's almost at a cellular level in which that is for you, it can almost be a blessing and a curse, can it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I could see that because if you, if you, have it, you're at an all-time high. When you don't have it, you hit an all-time low. Oh, definitely. So many dancers run into injuries early in life, too. I mean, we were 14, 15 years old, and some of my peers at the school, they they run into injuries that, you know, they, they have to quit so early. And for, for a lot of them, it leads to depression. Yeah, yeah. So before we leave this, I'm going to keep going a little bit deeper on this because I think there's a message here for for women listening, because we often, especially those of us that are very driven and very passionate about something. um, Do you think I'm going to ask you, do you find that you need to balance that passion with something else in your life so it doesn't consume you? That's another good question. Uh, Personally, I I think I tend to. you know, have a lack of balance uh, to just dive into and do something for, you know, 12 hours a day easily. Um, I don't know if that's the right path for everyone, 
but for me, uh, I think my passion is something I integrate every l every other aspect I integrate into my passion rather than finding something else to counteract uh, counteract. Uh, but I think I'm finding um, maybe there is a balance uh, in my life, though. I do so many different things. I mean, I am a choreographer, but I hugely enjoy directing. Uh, I'm very interested in opera, and I got to direct an opera and incorporate all my knowledge from choreography in this opera production in D.C., and that led to so many other experiences that I wouldn't have had as only a ballet dancer in a traditional company. Um, I'm collaborating with a brain researcher in Sweden, a very cutting edge uh, brain um, science that, that's super interesting to me too. So I think um, I'm, finding, I'm finding ways to, to keep those other channels open as well. Well, and I think that's the secret. I think you are finding the secret is that you can't just be a ballet dancer and not have that consume you, especially when you have the intellect that you have. So you have found other ways to balance, but still connect it with that creative space. But you're doing the choreography, the directing, the joining in research on some aspect of, of the brain. So I think that's a message there and tremendous wisdom. I don't know if you even realized you were doing that, but maybe you just naturally have led yourself to find some balance in that way. So, yeah. so one of the things, hmm? yeah, finding different aspects of your passion that can lead you to happiness in many different ways. Exactly. Exactly. So when you and I spoke earlier, we talked a little bit about the imposter syndrome and that it was, uh, it has been a big issue for you because you were taught at such an early age that as a ballet dancer, that you would never be good enough. So how have you dealt with this demon so it doesn't keep you from going for your dreams? For me, it's always about inspiration and where I find inspiration. And, you know, when, you, when that inspiration strikes, uh, again, you have, almost have no choice but to follow it. So if I have a, an idea that is keeping me awake at night about a ballet, about something that's very untraditional and very, you know, out there, maybe, maybe crazy. Um, if it keeps me awake at night and if it's, you know, if, if, if it fuels you throughout the day, then you, you, you have to pursue it. So if dance is a passion, if ballet is a passion and then it's worth, then it's worth all the other pain that comes with it. And it's worth pushing further and putting yourself in a vulnerable position where you feel like you don't belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And, and that helps you move, keep moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It leads you because then you don't want to be the least knowledgeable person in the room. Uh, I mean, as a, as an opera director, I felt a huge pressure. Uh, I hadn't, I, I didn't, couldn't read music. So I, I had to learn how to read music. I had to um, watch other opera directors, their choices, and figure out what I agreed with, what I didn't agree with. Uh, so I think each of those situations that are making you uncomfortable, that, like you said, it will push you on. It'll push you on for sure. So discipline and concentration are keys for you as a performer. So how do you keep these two skills in top shape and the everyday noise from disrupting these? Good question again. Um, for me, it works um, turning turning the noise off. 
I, I have to, you know, I hide my phone <laughs> from myself. Uh, I turn it off and then I, I put it under a book or something. So it's not visible. Uh, and then I create. Um, yeah, I try to, I, I'm experimenting with different ways, uh, you know, doing your emails in the morning and then just putting it away from the day, having uh, assigning time when you do certain things so that they won't bother you later in the day when you're trying to do, do something creative or, uh, you know, taking a walk in the middle of the day during the pandemic, uh, we can, we have more options to, to do that. And uh, yeah, to get a break from, from the noise. Do you yeah. find routine also helps? Do you have routines that help you break the noise as well? I try to have routines uh, as someone with my schedule that is sometimes hard because um, even even during the pandemic, uh, now that my work has started back up again, uh, every day is different again. And that's usually that's a very common um, even before the pandemic, uh, I think every every day was different and I do different things every day. And that is also inspiring in itself. So uh, finding that balance of uh, things that keep you on track to accomplish what you need every day and then having these, uh, you know, one-time gigs thrown at you, like amazing opportunities, um, like bursts of energy, uh, also like throwing you off balance a little bit, but also very inspiring. And very energizing. Definitely. Yeah, very energizing for sure. So you have been very successful as a dancer and now are finding a tremendous success in the choreographer scenarios. So, but you told me you never set out to be successful. That if, but so my question to you, Julia, if, if success was not your driver, what was? Um, yeah, uh, to me, my goal was never to to be that famous ballerina on the Royal Swedish Opera stage, the the soloist. Um, I I just loved to dance, and I love the rehearsal process and working really hard every single day in the studio to to find that essence in every work that makes the the dance so powerful. And refining those, finding those and refining those. So to me, I knew that I would be very, very happy if I could just get by being a professional dancer, just get by having enough money so I could live somewhere and have food on the table. Uh, it was never to be world famous or, or to necessarily to tour the world, even though my dance has now brought me to the US and I've lived in New York now for nine years. I never expected that to happen. I just wanted to find a, a safe space where I could create. And yet so you I have you have become world famous. I mean you are playing you have danced all over the world. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. But that was a maybe a by effect more than the goal in itself. So and that has also made me open to other things if my goal was always to be to only do classical ballet in the one top company in Sweden I would have never gotten to re receive a scholarship to move to New York uh, I would have never uh, done so many things that have become powerful parts of me and made me much stronger as a choreographer but also much stronger as a classical dancer Thank you.
in this space and in, in most spaces, we all experience competition of some sort. But in the world of dance, you especially face this reality. So how do you handle the pressure of competition so it doesn't bring like, out the worst in you? Mm-hmm. Um, I always I always like to connect with my colleagues. Uh, to me, the the competition, some people I know that fuels them, the competition. Uh, but to me, I, like I said, my goal was always to, to create, to get by, to make amazing work and not so much to be the best in the room. Uh, and I think the ballet company works best when everyone is helping each other. So I'm really making an effort in connecting with my colleagues and also my content. They're technically my competitors, right? But I think that we all work better if we're in a really supportive environment instead of that toxic, really over competitive, uh, you know, putting glass in your competitor's point shoes uh, <laughs> situation that that makes I, I think that makes for a horrible <laughs> work environment. So I'm going to stay with this for a second, because this is a place that women sometimes don't show up too beautifully in, in terms of how they handle their competition. Um, what would you say to other women that maybe aren't doing so well? It is bringing out the worst in them. They're being catty and they're being vengeful and mean. Because I know you've seen that certainly in the dance world as well. Uh, what do you, do you think that kind of approach ever wins? I think if you're extremely talented, like top 20 in the world talented, I'm sure you can get really successful. Um, but the, I, I don't know if you know to appreciate that success if you're all alone at the top being uh, bratty, like you said, and with, with no one to share it with. Um, if, if I was in a situation where I felt uh, very alone and in, in that kind of toxic environment, I would try to find my way out of it, whether that is... Um, connecting more with people who are kind and, you know, are more the kind of people that you want to be creating a network of those people to support you or, or even finding your way out of that environment, because you're never going to be happy if you're treated that way. I I mean, I would not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think everyone benefits from that too, whatever environment you're in to connect on a deeper level with people that brings out the best of you, people who you are inspired to talk with, uh, people who you admire and that you hope to learn from on a, on a professional level, but also on a personal level. I think that really enriches anything you do. Uh, so any environment, I try to do that. I try to connect with people that, uh, you know, I, to, to me are doing the right thing. So do you ever catch yourself wanting to fall into that trap of putting down other dancers? I don't think so, actually. I mean, we've all been, you know, with, with social media of today looking at, uh, oh, my my friend in uh, Switzerland is doing this amazing thing, working for this amazing company with this amazing choreographer. Um, but then, but then you, you have to look at your own. I think envy tells us something about ourselves. It doesn't tell us that, 
um, you know, you can't have that because you're not good enough, but it tells us that, oh, I'm, I admire this person. I'm envious of this person because they have something. They have this creative freedom that I also want. And then I, I then I analyze myself. Oh, I want, I want artistic freedom. Where, where can I find that? Maybe it's not, um, maybe it's not the company, the situation in itself, because that is unique to, to one person, but it's something in that situation that I'm envious of. And finding that can teach me something about myself and maybe teach me how to make changes to my own situation and how to get there, to get to that level of artistic freedom. Maybe I'm not finding that right now. How can I find that? Yeah, and I love the way you have turned that concept of envy, which can turn people into mean girls and, and instead turn into a place of self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, being aware that you're feeling that envy and say, okay, what is it that person has that I need as well? And how do I get it? Yeah, yeah. The film industry are going to have to find something else to make uh, ballet movies out of. Right. <laughs> <Instead> of <that> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, Julia, you feel things very deeply. You and I talked about this. So, how do you use these deep feelings to propel you forward as opposed to dragging you down? Um, yeah, that's uh, my blessing of being a choreographer is uh, when I find things in the world that I don't understand or don't agree with uh, on a very deep level, something that I'm repulsed by. Um, some people turn to political activism, but uh, I, myself, I feel myself turn inward and trying to analyze the problem from a place of creation. And I think maybe that is something very common in creative people that we we analyze something by creating, if that makes sense. So um, I've made ballets about drug abuse, about the Holocaust, about uh, these very, very powerful subjects. Immigration is a very common subject in my work. And trying to trying to understand by creating these characters who are dealing with the problem and literally embodying them somehow feels more productive to me than going out protesting. I don't know why, but maybe it's the potential of reaching a larger crowd for example, right now I'm working on a ballet uh, on immigration with a group of very talented people, a composer, producer, and a number of dancers and musicians, and discussing the problems of immigration together with them and brainstorming and trying to not trying to tell people what to think, but to tell them to look into themselves and analyze the problem and problem solve it with us. I think that um, maybe that is why I'm analyzing problems in that kind of way. It's just too big for one person to feel. So I, I think we all have to, uh, to chime in together and maybe then we can find a solution to these very big problems. And, and so through dance and music, and the choreography of those together, then you can take people into an emotional space as a, as a whole, as opposed to in the solitude of their homes. Yes, that's right. 
Uh, I think inspiration is one of the most powerful human tools there are to make positive change in, in society and on a personal personal level. Um, you know, having a cathartic experience after watching um, a beautiful dance piece or seeing a play or hearing a piece of music even that uh, propels you forward. I think that is, it's something fundamentally human, but it's, 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 uh, it's our greatest asset, I think, inspiration. And that inspiration has to come from somewhere. So I'm hoping to influence people by creating really powerful tools to bring these issues up and to make people want to discuss them together to spark these important conversations about change in society um, or on a personal level. How, to, how do we avoid um, these young people overdosing? How do we um, you know, get out of addiction? How do we uh, tackle immigration policy? What is your stance on immigration policy? I think those are very important questions to, to ask ourselves. And maybe through the arts, we can have people explore that at a deeper level in a safe way. Yeah, exactly. And doing it together also, not in a radicalized uh, you know, environment. It's, uh, it's a, it should be part of a public discussion. And I think art has a very important role to play in society that way. I think it's the thought-provoking pieces of art that um, should, should propel society forward. Yeah. by asking those questions. Yeah, I agree. And I never really thought about the arts that way, but I can see the wisdom in that so very clearly. Yeah, con- uh, congratulations on the work that you're doing. I think it's it's amazing. And, and you have that brilliant mind to go with it. So you can, that's why you're such a great choreographer, for sure, because you can bring both pieces together, for sure. So, Julia, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Uh, yes, there's something. Uh, I, I think really building a network uh, is something that uh, each person can benefit from. And uh, and you said very kind words about me, but I think I wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't find. There's so many things that I, I know I cannot do. Uh, whether it's writing music or I don't know everything. I I have to ask people all the time about their opinions or their expertise and collaborating with people in brain research or in composition or, um, yeah, there's, there's so much wisdom and richness that we can find in the people around us, but also beyond that, daring to reach out to people beyond your own network to, to learn more. Uh, I think that maybe is why I'm successful. Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And you've got such a bright future ahead of you. I know you're excited to see what's going to unfold as well. Always. Yeah, Julia, thank you for being here today. Thank you for taking time from your your, your dance schedule and your choreographer work is all starting to charge back up again. And I appreciate you taking time to, to come and share your wisdom. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And Julia is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. Mm-hmm.